Welcome to Change the Narrative. I'm your host, J.D. Fuller, an African-American, licensed psychotherapist, professor, diversity coach, consultant, and author. We talk about the isms. We talk about the phobias, anything that marginalizes and oppresses. Everything we are not and everything we are is because of fear. Through a mental health lens, we'll have difficult conversations with celebrity guests, political activists, and everyone in between. Our mind will tell us whatever we want to believe, but the truth lives in the body, and that's where change occurs. Are you ready to change the narrative? Okay, so welcome back. We're here with Jessica Wilson discussing dietary, nutrition, white supremacy, all those good things and more. So I'm really excited to get into the second half of this interview. Welcome back. It's great to be back. Uh, Yes. Okay. (laughs) I like that. It's great to be back. Okay, so my mind is racing and I want to try to get some direction here. You know, you talk about the clinical stories in your book and you you share some of, you know, real, real time situations and, and just how we left off previously with, you know, who decides what size you are and what's healthy for you. You know, that's a trigger for me right now because I eat a vegetarian diet pretty much. Um, I'm exercise a lot. I feel good in my life, but I have some joint physical stuff going on. And so it is healthy. It's, it's easier and healthier for me to be a certain weight in terms of the joint stuff. And then I go to the doctor and the doctor says, you know, your cholesterol can be high and your high, your blood pressure can be high. So then I take a blood pressure pill and my it's low. It's like super low. <laughs> so is that a projection? Because I was on supplements and it seemed to be okay. But then when I went to medication, it went super low. And it's like how, you know, it's like bad science. How does that make sense? And why why should I believe you? And so mm-hmm. that's what I'm coming up for me as, you know, how do people advocate for themselves in those situations? I find myself feeling challenged and I have a lot of access and ability. Those are great questions. And the simple answer is that there are whisper networks of like who isn't trashed in the medical field and if you can find those doctors, but it shouldn't have to come down to that. And some people will learn, you know, as much as they can about a condition before going in, but still that puts like the stress and the work on us when it should be the doctor that knows how, yeah, to treat us. Yeah, a friend of mine, (laughs) a black friend of mine realized that when she started using just the word outcomes when it came to her health, that her doctor started treating her like she knew what she was doing beforehand (laughs) and treated her with respect. So it's just all over the place. I don't have easy answers for that one. But yes, exactly what you experienced. Thankfully, research is looking into how our genes interact with medications and so how some are going to work for us, some are not. Yeah. And none of this was ever studied on Black women, right? So like these right. high blood right high blood pressure medications, why would they bother <laughs> to study how they worked on Black women? No, never. Yeah, that's the part right there. That's it. You know, the research isn't done for us, by us, on us. And so what does that mean in terms of our outcomes, right? right. And so how much do you subscribe? Because it is genetic in my family. It's, yeah. it's very much, you know, in the lineage. So, you know, how much hypervigilance do you need to have around it? You know, those are, those are questions, obviously, I don't expect you to answer, but I appreciate your perspective on it. That, that means a lot. Okay. So can you give another clinical example of your experience with sort of earlier in your career that led you to question your academic education in ways that you would not have known to do it back then? Yeah, I think of a couple. One was volunteering. I think it was the African-American Health Coalition. 
was what it was called. And their, you know, quote, nutrition education for folks there was all about like eating less, eating more fruits and vegetables, et cetera. And the folks there did not have access to food. Like they were not eating three meals and snacks. And all, you know, but the assumption was that if you just eat, you know, fruits and vegetables, you're going to like somehow lose weight and be healthier. And I was like, this, this is not, this can't be the answer. Fruits and vegetables are not the answer to one, like food insecurity. And B, if you're not eating food, but are still chubby, like something else is going on here. So there's one. And then another was working with clients with anorexia who are not super thin, you know, folks mm-hmm. of color yeah. and how they just weren't diagnosed. People didn't know what to do and oftentimes didn't believe them. So yeah, both of you those. Know, okay. So I want to separate those. You know, I had a person who was nutritionist or a health coach on recently and, you know, was talking about the motivation, like having faith in yourself and the motivation to eat differently. And and it sounds like you're challenging that a little bit. It sounds like you're willing to challenge that a little bit. And I appreciate that. And I want to dig into that because I don't want this to be a monolith. You know, I really want people to have different perspectives on what it means to be healthy. And and so you saying that, you know, fruits and vegetables aren't necessarily the answer. And I know how you mean that. But can you say more about that? Because I think it's really important. Sure. I call it like the quinoa and kale industrial comp. Of uh, like public health, you know, that's the message. Literally, eat less and move more, and it's as simple as that. And we're looking at every health outcome, and especially even when it comes to like our body size, it's easy for us to say that like toxic stress, genetics, trauma, food access, access to healthcare, the environment we live in, all of those impact like our health and our weight. But the solution is fruits and vegetables and physical activity. I'm like, how? How is that a solution to all, like all these structural and systemic, you know, situations? So yes, you know, fruits and vegetables, I'm a fan. As we get older, fiber becomes more important. It just does, right? So like, yay, fruits and vegetables and physical activity, like movement playing is great. But like as a solution to what ails us, it's not a solution. It can be definitely one of you know, a multitude of factors that include better environments and being able to sleep and not be so stressed. So that brings me to uh, integrating therapy into this. Has that been a par- part of your journey? And are you a fan? And what are your thoughts on that? <laughs> Mine or my clients? <laughs> All of the above, whatever you're willing to share. <laughs> no, yeah. I work closely with therapists for folks who have disordered eating, and that can look a bunch of different ways. A lot of times it's on identity development, honestly, for folks who have been told their body is wrong, especially some Latinx and Asian American folks whose families will, you know, speak on their weight. Um, Also, Black families do this. Most of my experience has been with Asian American and Latinx folks whose parents or grandparents, the first thing they say when they walk in the door is, you've been eating too much or you haven't been eating. And so just these you know, identity development that needs to happen for people that are not like around their weight and body size is just, you know, one example there. But then for folks with anorexia and bulimia, for sure. So now you're digging into sort of my happy place, which is culture and the cultural lens. That's what's, that's what's starting to bubble in my brain as you're saying that. 
it's challenging to it's challenging to have people embrace their culture when it has turned on them yeah in that way mm-hmm. and therapeutically I was teaching a class the other night and and therapeutically I I talk a lot about how people can refriend that part of themselves that has previously turned on them mm-hmm. in in their experience, right? So you're talking about a couple of cultures and very direct and yeah. um, how they connect with family members is what I see. So I'm going to tell you this is how it is. That can potentially alienate you from your community um, if that's your experience all the time. So I like that you're, what I hear is talking about rebranding your identity and your culture. You know, mm-hmm. you can, right? Does that make sense? Yeah, I like that. Yeah, so you get to not, you know, throw your culture out because you feel that Mm. it has turned on parts of yourself and find a way to rebrand it and make sense out of it and appreciate the fact that that's your culture, but that's not all of who you are. And yet you can still be proud in who you are. Because I think the other thing that white supremacy does is have us turn on our cultures. Yeah, definitely. Right. It's wrong that they, and especially if you're doing cross cultural work. It's so easy for, you know, a white body dietitian or therapist to say, that's not healthy for you. That's bad for you. And if it's based in your culture, that's, that's bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have you I ever agree. had any with other professionals, collaborating with other professionals and seeing that come up? More so at like dietitian conferences or also in my curriculum, you know, we were Indian, you know, traditional Indian meals were, quote, bad because they had, you know, non and rice. Like there were two carbs in a meal and Mexican food had tortillas and rice. Again, like two carb choices at a meal, you know, it was just like a disaster. So those ones are like stick out to me. White rice for anybody, you know, was inherently a poor choice, even though it's the main staple for over 50 percent of the world's population. So those are the ones that are more common, I would say. But then, yeah, a lot of dietitians have their own weird stuff with food and will, yeah, police whatever somebody's eating. You know, and that's, that's, I find that happening therapeutically as well. You know, we call it counter-transference where your stuff comes up and all of a sudden you're projecting it onto your client and now it's their problem as you see it through your eyes. And Mm -hmm. I see that as an ethical dilemma. How do you see that in the dietitian world? I love that, an ethical dilemma. I previously just thought of it as poor therapy, but I love the way that you frame it, a very therapeutic way to talk about it. Uh, Yes, I just called those folks poor therapists. Yes, and I think oftentimes, too, it's their own internalized oppression or their their own, you know, like alignment with white supremacy and such. I see it with folks with eating disorders who weight restoring, but you know, their therapists or dietitians like won't let them go over a certain amount. They're like, you know, they'll do that. Okay, this is good, you know, based on what Western culture thinks that our bodies are supposed to be. Or, you know, you're eating X, Y, and Z foods, you know, in your recovery when it should be like quinoa and avocado and whatever. Like <laughs> This is you. This is not the client here. It's weird. Yeah. And so back to your point of access, right? I mean, you know, the the white supremacy and and capitalism. I mean, how are families supposed to afford to eat healthy as it's determined in, you know, Western civilization if everything is not accessible? And is it really true? Is that true? 
Mm, you know? I love that question. So first of all, yes, how are people? Well, I, of course, and intentionally Whole Foods and all these, you know, stores are priced at a certain level. So they only get a certain clientele. <laughs> yeah, I feel pretty right. strongly about that. And grocery stores and lower income areas are not often clean regularly. They look more just sadder places to shop. Yeah. And then there are places that intentionally don't have grocery stores because of redlining and other impacts of white supremacy and capitalism. So how are people supposed to eat these foods when they have to take two buses to get an avocado or whatever it is? It's not going to happen at all. Yes, is that answer. I mean, but what, so then what do we do? What, what, how do we, you know, I'm about that action like you are. And I'm just Mm. wondering what, what do we, what do we do? What can we do individually and collectively? I mean, we're a collective society as, you know, the global majority, but individually also, how do we speak to that? What do we do? I do a lot of norming with my clients. Half of our work, it's like just saying it's okay to get frozen vegetables because in this like world of like, fresh and like natural and like unprocessed stuff just like how can we reframe like less expensive foods in a way that people don't feel bad about eating them because that's another thing that happens all the time is that you listen to these societal messages and then you feel bad that you can only afford or only have access to white rice and you don't have quinoa at home whatever it is so what do we do yeah we can donate of course you know, to food pantries, but we can talk about right now the expiration of a lot of SNAP or, you know, food stamp benefits. And we can be more aware that that is happening and like plug into our community and see what, you know, options. And just, you know, it's good to know that donating like a can of beans to a a food pantry is not as important as giving like dollars. So those are just general. No, those are great. Those are great. And I love how you are norming things that normally can turn into shame. I like how you're norming it in a way that it's feasible. It's just realistic for what where people are financially. Because you're right, man. White rice is talked about like the devil. Yeah. And in so many cultures, in, fin- in, in cultures, but also in areas that have less, less access, it's a bag of white rice you're getting. So yeah. demonizing the staple is, it's horrible. I don't, I don't think about that often, but you're absolutely right. Yeah. And I, it was something, honestly, that I didn't think about until people were coming in and saying, you know, I, I like to eat Persian rice and I will spend the time to cook it, but I hate quinoa and that's what I'm supposed to eat. So I just don't eat dinner. <laughs> I'm like, oh no, this, this wow. is not, yeah, it was, it would just be like that because college students, you know, are picking up. A lot of information are really trying to integrate these things. But what happens are these like adverse, horrible outcomes, which, you know, it's not good for anybody. Wow. Wow. That's something. You posted (laughs) only eating when you're hungry for physiological (laughs) needs is the same concept as having sex only for procreation. I need you to (laughs) say more about that. I don't know when we started demonizing like eating with family or having Sunday dinners, but all of a sudden, I at some point, everybody was talking to me about how their families, you know, get together for food every Sunday and how terrible that is because we shouldn't be eating, you know, when we're happy. And like, so, 
so we should only be eating when we're like not happy and not sad you know like what so we don't eat at all it was confusing but just like talking about how their you know family only comes together over food i was like that makes sense but because you know our societal fat phobia and association of you know blackness and gluttony we've come to believe that the only reason to eat food is for biological need and if there's ever any pleasure associated in you know our choices or whatever it is that means that we're hedonistic and when we should just you know be let's see like restrained in our food choices and that's in you know morality and religion and all that stuff you know i can see the controversy in that and i also love the controversy in it because you know it's potentially problematic because people will say so you're saying food is the only thing that makes us happy (laughs) (laughs) or yeah i should just eat whatever i want when i'm sad and like that's that's not what i'm saying yeah yeah i I want to make that clear because that is something that people will will take away is that food is the source of happiness and and you're right you know because as as a therapist you know one of the things that i want to help people understand is how much of their emotions are attached to eating you know, mm-hmm. because it's not, it's not what you're eating is from my lens as a non dietitian it's more about how you're eating and mm-hmm. why you're eating and whether or not you're thinking that that's fulfilling you emotionally when in reality it's, it's not, but if you're enjoying it and you're okay with it, I don't know how to say that's wrong. I don't think I should say that's wrong. No, I I mentioned Lexi, the gymnast in the book and how she came to stay with us during COVID, especially in the UK when it was everything was locked down. And we went to the grocery store and we bought like a bunch of bulk things because we were, you know, those are the days when you weren't going to the store a bunch. And yeah, she sat down with my spouse and opened up a bag of like mini Reese's peanut butter cups. I went to go do something. I came back and the bag was empty. I was like, oh, hey, what, what happened there? And she's like, oh, yeah, 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 this is a sugar stomach. And I was like, what? And she was like, yeah, you know, you get something, you eat it all because you don't get it that often and you're not supposed to eat it the next day. So, you know, you just get it over with and you eat it all up. I was like, what? What is happening here? Uh, she's like, yeah, then you're usually too tall to eat dinner. So, you know, it bounces out. And I was like, oh, goodness gracious. So I went to the grocery store the next time I went got Trader Joe's, the best brand of peanut butter cups and, you know, kept them. And like, I would walk past her studying. It would like just drop one or some or however many, you know, on the table or wherever it was. And she was like mad about it at first, but, you know, over time, because they just became regular food and not something that you're going to get like sugar stomach from, all the power was taken away. And, you know, she ended up leaving a bunch of peanut butter cups in the fridge when she left because, you know, she didn't have to finish them all. Wow. That's so good, Jessica. That's so good. This idea of deprivation, feeding the desire, you know, Mm -hmm. forcing the desire. That's, that's deep. That's important for people to understand. You said that you will re well, you as a collective will rewrite the narrative of blackness that centers and celebrates our joy. Will you elaborate? Yeah. A friend of mine talks about it as me using joy as a weapon. I talk about it being used as rebellion in a world that, you know, just tries to deny us of everything. But the idea that participating in it, like having joy can be used as a weapon against, you know, white supremacy. 
us still being able to, you know, find joy, experience joy, have joy in community can, you know, be one tool that we have mm-hmm. as a community in the resilience that we find there to battle white supremacy. The narratives yeah. of Black women, as you know, are so much about like our labor for, you know, humanity and historically ties in enslavement. But how Black women are, you know, going to labor and work harder to save the country. I think of, of course, Stacey Abrams and how she was going to do all the work. (laughs) But I don't want, you know, yeah, I don't want that to be the extent of our stories. I want us to be celebrated and engaging in joy. You know, Black joy is resistance. That's that's the truth of the matter. And I'm with you on that. And, you know, you just hit on something else. This this idea that let black women lead. Right. So it sounds like such a great compliment. But when you think about it, it's more like just pile more on our backs yeah. and we'll and we'll take it and we'll we'll carry that and more and we'll still bounce back, which is why I don't use resilient anymore, because I'm not bouncing back from anything. I'm friggin' tired. I'm mm-hmm. not bouncing back anymore. <laughs> I'm just mm-hmm. trying to put one foot in front of the other. Mm-hmm. And, and that is, you know, we do get these backhanded compliments like that. Follow black women, let black women lead. Like unconsciously jump right on and sound like, yeah, let us lead. And then in a conversation, it's like this, it's like, and you want us to do more? (laughs) And not get paid anymore for it? (laughs) It does sound crazy. You're so right about that. Um, I want to just add one more sort of variable in here before we wrap up. You know, because I, again, what's rushing through my head are these people that I've had on and different things that they say. And I have this vegan doctor who's somebody who I've connected with on social media. I've had him on the show and he is like, get it all out, get it out, get, get every, get everything that is bad. And I, as determined by, um, basically whiteness yep. and basically, yep. meat, <laughs> I get, just get it all out. How talk about that in your perception, you know, because veganism is about removing so many things. What what are your thoughts on that? And how do you factor that into what's considered, I hate the word healthy, but what's considered best for someone? I already, I love already that we've talked about cultural food and, you know, people will say, you know, I, you know, made my cultural food, you know, vegan. And then, you know, my family started to like it. Uh, But I'm always like, why are you changing like something that has been around forever? And I do have had clients who, you know, have adopted different diets and then like turn around and shame their family for eating quote that way. Yes. Yes. And it just creates such a divide. Like they eat that way. I am morally and, you know, more purely like superior. And I just need to tell them you know, how they should be eating. And then we have this like awful dichotomy going on. And some people feel like trash on vegan diets. And we never talk about that. I've had a lot of people for environmental reasons or ethical reasons or whatever, you know, try to be vegan and then come in and are like, what is wrong with me? You know, I'm eating so much food and I never have energy. And those are the stories we just don't hear. I had somebody who was vegan for two, you know, all of two weeks and was not recovering from, you know, exercise and just was garbage. And I'm like, this can't, this is literally not a diet for everyone. Why are we billing it to be? But then again, it is the cutting out the, you know, morality, the purity culture of like me being a better person for being able to do without. But we can't disregard 
those connections there. But if people don't want to eat animal products, good. Bye. That's deep, Jessica. You just hit on something else. This idea of individuality and how it imposes itself into collective communities and creates a hierarchy. That is what individualism is all about when we are, in fact, collective cultures. (laughs) So yet yet another dilemma to navigate. (laughs) Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I tried to be vegan. I really, I really have, but I don't cook. So that's not a good combination. And I don't like animal products in general, but I, I just don't have the tools to manage it. But I do feel better eating one way than I do another. And that's where I think the emphasis should be, right? Isn't that kind of the most important part is what, what makes you feel physically better? And what you have access to kind of already yeah. what you've talked about, because, you know, my, recommendation is always that people get enough food before we start talking about like what they should Mm. be eating because if you're not Mm. eating enough food i you know you're like somewhat you know malnourished and that is my primary concern here so when we've like established that then sure if you want to talk about other things but you know feeling shame for eating foods just to you know exist is is yeah yeah Jessica, you're amazing. I really, <laughs> this time has flown by. I, I knew I wanted to talk to you. I, I didn't exactly know why, except for I follow you and I'm definitely interested in all that you say. I don't mind saying it again. Jessica, you're amazing. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule to have this conversation with us. Um, I think, you know, most importantly, it's the fact that the way that your brain works and helps things be relatable to all people that I appreciate most. I mean, obviously you're incredibly smart, um, but it's the way you make it user-friendly that is so important and I appreciate it so much. Please let everybody know where they can find you. What are your social media handles? Where can they buy your book right away? Just put that out there. Book is available on all major retailers online, on audiobook and ebook, wherever books are sold. I'm on Instagram at jessicawilson.msrd. And if you're on TikTok, you can look look at me try and struggle over there. <laughs> I am at by Jessica Wilson on TikTok. So those places are where to find me. What about your website? Ah, my website, Je- jessicawilsonmsrd.com. And last one, Twitter? Oh, at Jessica Wilson RD. Gosh, I need to have these on a post-it note right in front of me. Yeah. Again, thank you so much. I appreciate your awesomeness and the, the conversations that we had. I really do appreciate it. And I hope it makes a difference in people's lives. And I believe it will. Well, your questions were great. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. Take care. I'll be in touch. Please be sure to like, subscribe and follow wherever you get your podcasts. And also leave us a review. Let us know what you think. Thank you for listening to Change the Narrative with J.D. Fuller.